Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Richard Burns. I'm a Manchester City fan. I can be found on twitter.com slash richardtheburns, um, and my writing can be found at yahoosport and typicalcity.org. Hello, I'm Steve. I'm an Arsenal fan. Haven't been on here for a while. Good to be back. Uh, you can find me at Find Pub Sport on Twitter or follow Find Pub Sport on Facebook or go to findpubsport.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs recently. Richard, obviously a bit of up and down for City. You win uh, the Capital One Cup final, then struggle against Liverpool beat probably expectedly a pretty poor Aston Villa side what's been your take on all of that um well I mean obviously we have to start um with the the cup win one because it's probably the most significant and um two because I'm a big fan of chronology and that was the first game of those three that were played so um I said just before the the cup final I was I was on uh, on the podcast and I quite effusively made the point that by being stubborn and sticking with Willy Caballero, Pellegrini was um, willingly harming City's chances of winning the Cup. Um, And obviously, I was proven quite wrong um, because Willy Caballero won City the Cup with uh, an extraordinary um, performance in the penalty shootout. Three consecutive saves is... Uh, quite an achievement, and his particularly the third save from Lalana's penalty was magnificent. And I, I hold my hands up and accept that obviously that that decision uh, by Pellegrini to start with Caballero proved correct. And that said, the prediction or the the desire uh, by myself and and most of the City fans to see Joe Hart put in goal instead of Caballero was based on pretty sound reasoning. Caballero has generally been pretty bad for City um, and had been particularly atrocious the week before, but uh, I'm obviously happy that Pellegrini's decision proved correct. It was magnificent to win the first trophy of the season. Um, I've said it before, but the, the League Cup gets so devalued and it's a it's a really good cup to win it can set the tone for the end of the season for, you know for the, the title running it's no coincidence that the last two teams to well the, the last two seasons um the sides that have won the league also won the capital one cup it can really i think um be a catalyst and and get that confidence into a team to have already won a trophy and to, to then go and hunt down the premier league it's a great thing um I thought City were really good on the day. They controlled the game. But there was, despite that, there was a feeling, certainly where I was sat, that that last 15 minutes or so, despite the fact that City had dominated the game, there was a a real feeling that an equaliser was inevitable. Um, And it's really hard to explain that. And it's the kind of thing that you can, I suppose, only really get if if you're a football fan that just impending feeling of doom that has no basis in logic and yet proved correct. We, it just felt like Liverpool were going to score. But um, it all turned out all right in the end. And Pellegrini deserved a lot of credit for, for leading City to that trophy. It's um, it's three trophies in, three, in his three years, and that isn't to be sniffed at. However, the p- subsequent performance at Anfield in the Premier League was absolutely diabolical. Um, and was further evidence of why actually uh, moving Pellegrini on in the summer is absolutely the right decision. It was a continuation of the backward steps that the team had taken under Pellegrini, where the first year was magnificent. Um, We played the best football I've ever seen City play in in winning that league. Um, But 
when we won the league in 2014, there was a run of 20 games between November and February where City won 18 and drew two. Um, and that was what the that was the foundation for winning the league. And then last season they lost. There was a run from January onwards after they'd already clawed back an eight point gap on uh, on Chelsea, where they then lost eight out of fifteen games and and completely bottled it. And then this season, since October, they've not won back to back games. So in the Premier League, so the the amount of backward steps that City are taking is really quite astonishing in my opinion and it's not all on Pellegrini the players have to take responsibility but there's no there's no tactical innovation and I find it really interesting that last season when City got beat by West Ham Sam Allardyce made the point that managers like Pellegrini are really easy to work out and it doesn't mean that a team with like West Ham are always going to beat um, you know title chasers and, and the big teams in the league but that it's easy to work out what they're going to do because he's so stubborn and he doesn't change. And we're just seeing further evidence of that this season. Allardyce was absolutely right to call Pellegrini out on it. Um, and our struggles this season are all largely down to Pellegrini's stubbornness. Every time he seems to hit on a new tactic, like when he put Fernandinho uh, at right midfield against Kiev and we were brilliant, he's not really done it since. Uh, like when he, he started Yaya off the bench against Palace and it was our best performance in months and he's not tried it since. It's um, And I, I don't understand what goes on in his head that he hits on these tactical innovations. And they're not, revo- you know, they're hardly revolutionary, but it's a different way for City to play. And he won't stick by it. He always reverts to type. Um, and it's infuriating because the team suffer for it. There's no spark, there's no ingenuity um, and, and no innovation. And it's why ultimately City won't win the league. It's why out of 11 games against the top eight teams in the Premier League this season, we've drawn three and lost eight. That's three points from 33 points available against the top eight. It's why we can't win back-to-back Premier League games. It's why we've lost two more games in the last 12 months than we did in Mark Hughes's last full 12 months at City. We are being dragged backwards and Pellegrini gets such an easy ride for it, despite the fact that we're now battling for fourth place with the United team that have been widely ridiculed all season and, and widely criticised. And I believe we're called distinctly average on this very podcast, I think, a week ago. <laughs> um, and it's... I don't understand why he gets such an easy ride. And it's a shame for him. Like I, I realise I must sound really negative for a, a fan who's just watched a team win a major trophy. And I'm aware of how spoiled sometimes you can sound as a fan of a team that are challenging for trophies. And it's not that I demand that we win everything because nobody does that. It's not possible. But you've got to at least expect your team to be the sum of their parts. And City absolutely aren't. Um, and that is a lot of that rests on Pellegrini's shoulders. Like I say, not 100%. But you can't make excuses about tiredness and not having players to select when you've got, like like you said, at Anfield, when, one, Liverpool had just played a two-hour game exactly the same as City had days before. And we had Kelechi Iheanacho on the bench, who scores every time he plays. He's a phenomenal footballer. And you've got a £24.5 million striker in Wilfred Bonny sat there. I'm not saying I would rather Bonnie played because he's not at the level City need, but it's you can't get away with bemoaning your squad depth when you've got a pretty much £25 million striker on the bench. If he isn't good enough to play, then that leads to further questions, um, which again doesn't really rest on Pellegrini because transfers aren't just down to one man these days. But there's just a lot of what he says and, and a, a, a lot of our problems that really do um, do come back to the manager and... It's a shame because I like him as a good man, uh, but moving him on is the right thing because City are not progressing. Um, that said, the 4-0 win over Villa at weekend was good, but it was par for the course. Um, and I'll never, I'm never going to uh, not celebrate a 4-0 win. I loved it when I was there and I'll never be so arrogant and spoilt that I won't enjoy that kind of scoreline. But you can't read too much into it because Aston Villa will be remembered as one of the worst Premier League teams. Or this this iteration of Aston Villa will be remembered as one of the worst Premier League teams of all time. Um, and so City did what they needed to do, but it wasn't spectacular. And every time they look like they have a catalyst in which they might go on, um, you, you know, might spark a, a better push for the Premier League, they blow it. So I have no confidence their ability to win in their ability to win the league. And um, I'm at the point where I would genuinely be happy with, like I, I would be content with fourth place now, just ward off that challenge. Um, so yeah, there's my overly negative stance, but <laughs> unfortunately, the the facts, the facts just don't read well for Pellegrini anymore. Yeah, 
Um, first of all, apologies to Manchester United fans because I uh, ignorantly thought we should mention that on a show that had a Manchester City and a Liverpool fan on it. <laughs> uh, I should have known the direction that was going to go and uh, headed it off at the pass, but I did not. Um, but uh, for you, Richard, we're, we're fans of stats here on the podcast. I've been saying for a while now that no Premier League side has ever won the league with seven or eight losses. Now you are <laughs> on eight. But I was recently informed that no team has led the league in home wins and not won it. Currently, you have 10 home wins. I know you talked a little bit about your current positioning, but do you think one's more likely than the other? Do you think you will make a late title push, as Manchester City do tend to do better down the stretch, or are you thinking that you are settling for second or lower? You see, this is the thing, and I don't want to, like, I genuinely don't want to just sound like I'm negative because that's probably the impression I give off quite a lot, and I, I'm not, like, I really try hard to be positive. But it's just a bad year for a city. I don't think it it's your is. fault. <laughs> the, the thing with, like, saying, as you've just said, that City do well down the final stretch, that is, it's been true of the uh, the two times that we've won the league in recent years. Obviously, in 2012, we were eight points behind with six games to play and United choked and City were perfect for those last six games and we won the league. Similar scenario with Liverpool in 2014. They choked against Chelsea. City put a perfect four, five games together and won the league. But this season bears more in common with 2013 and 2015 when City was so far off the pace that they just collapsed. Um, I mean, this is this might sound daft, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and find a way to put it succinctly. But... To, to my mind, it is harder to make up the gap now with 10 games left than it is when you have less games, when you only have five or six games. Because although you require, in theory, a bigger choke from the teams above you, you require less perfection from yourself. It's easier to mm. win six straight games than it is to win 10. And that's basically what City are looking at. They need to win nine of the, the 10 last games realistically to, to reel in not just one team, but to reel in three. So as much as I like to think, yeah, we've been here before, if any team is well-equipped to um, to come back from the dead, then it's City. I think the, the fact is that it bears more in common with the, the years that we failed to do that. Um, we can't rely on three teams choking, even if one of those teams is Arsenal. The who you know notoriously choke, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, people seem to be a lot of the reason for because there's still pundits here predicting that City will win the league, and one of the key reasons seems to be that Leicester might bottle it, Tottenham might bottle it, but then again, they might not. And every first, every first time winner, as obvious as it sounds, has to do it for the first time. City had to way back when United had to, so. If the, you know they might not bottle it, and there's no reason actually to think that they will. That pressure will um, will weigh on them, but there's no reason to think that they can't handle it. So, whilst obviously I would love to be sat here at some point in the future, having once again been proven way off the mark, um, I don't think there's any sound basis on which you could say City will win the league um, because none of it adds up. Um, but I hope that as so much as as the season has done so many times that um, logic goes out the window and that we do mount a late charge. Yeah, I think it's an excellently made point. You don't just need one team to fall off the pace. You need all three to, as well as performing yourself. It does sound a bit more difficult when put into that context. Uh, Steve, we drew 2-2 in the North London Derby. For me, I didn't really think it changed much as both teams picked up a point. That's how draws work. Uh, What's (laughs) been your recent take on Arsenal? Well, something very rare happened this week um, at Arsenal. I don't know if uh, I don't know if you've really noticed very much, but uh, what we did, we played a game of football and we scored more goals than the other team. Oh, those <laughs> are good. <laughs> Which, yeah, that's good when that happens. It hasn't been happening very much lately. Um, as you mentioned there, we had the North London derby, which was going very well for us, but all went horribly wrong thanks to Coquelin. And then went kind of right again. It was one of those games where... We shot ourselves in the foot and then in the end it ended up feeling a bit like a win because it could have gone so horribly wrong, particularly when obviously the sending off happened and then you scored those two goals in quick succession and I was just thinking it was going to be horrific um, scoreline-wise, let alone result-wise. Um, but thankfully we were able to to recover and, and get that goal through Sanchez and if Ramsey had been a little bit quicker with his shot at the end, 
we might have snatched all three points, but it wasn't to be. Um, and yeah, yeah, just a little bit similar, really. Um, the, the the fact is, we have to hope. Arsenal now have to hope, regardless of any sort of run we go go on, we're not that far ahead of City. We have to hope that Leicester and Tottenham um, slip up. And, you know, will the pressure get to them? Won't the pressure get to them? I don't feel like Leicester feel like they're under any pressure, really, because they weren't expected to win the league anyway. So if they don't, everyone will just say, well, that was to be expected. People yeah, Jim, once... Jim is still talking about Champions League. Yeah, I mean, they they won't say, you know, Leicester choked. They'll Even if Leicester ended up finishing third, everyone would still say that's an amazing season for Leicester. Whereas if Arsenal finished third... Arsenal have choked again, as was uh, so keenly pointed out a few minutes ago. Um, so I, th- I just think it's it's one of those things that in, when it comes to the league, um, early in the season, I think I was on this podcast and saying, "Oh, it'd be great for football if Leicester City won the won the title." But as it goes on, I can't help but think that if Arsenal finish in the league above Manchester City, above Chelsea above Manchester United, above Liverpool, and then they lose to Tottenham and Leicester. That's probably going to be more annoying than all of the previous 10 years put together um, in the end. Good for football or not, generally speaking. So, um, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, we we won midweek. It's good to get get back through to the FA Cup quarterfinals again. One match away from Wembley again, uh, possibly winning it three years in a row, which would be historic in and of itself. Uh, we had three injuries in that game. It looks like two, Gabriel and Mertesacker are going to be more or less OK, but Ramsey might be longer term, which is a big big loss, considering we still haven't had Wilshire all year and we're still missing Cthulhu. Um, I think his... And Coquelin, does he still have suspension or was that taken care of with the whole match? I think it was taken care of with Hull because it mm. was two yellows, so I think it's only one match. So I think he'll be back for Watford um, but even still, even still it's still a um, FA Cup so even if it is two matches he will be back for the league but I mean in terms of the, in terms of um, underrated players since Cthulhu has disappeared from the middle of our midfield as an outlet we just haven't looked like the same te- the same team um, and I don't know if we're going to get him back and firing at 100% before the end of the season so other players need to step up. Um, there was a chat apparently before the FA Cup game with all the senior players, namely Per Mertesacker, Petr Cech, Arteta and Thomas Rosicki, who laid into all the other players and kind of highlighted to them that this is their chance, particularly after that Swansea result uh, last midweek. This, um, and, and the North London derby as well, saying that this is a chance to actually do something and this team are not doing it at the moment. So whether or not that will have an effect, whether or not that last last gasp goal against Spurs is the turning point for the season, we we could go on a run from here. You don't know. You never know. The hardest game we've got is Man City away, um, and that's right near the end. But if we can go on a run between now and then, we can be there or thereabouts come the close of the season. But again, it's relying on slip-ups from other teams, which isn't a great position to be in. So we've got to hope that that senior player chat works on the younger players. We've got to hope that our injuries don't make us suffer again. We've got to hope that Leicester stops scoring lucky goals because a few of them have been lucky as well. It's annoying. The luck all seems to be going in one direction at the moment. Um, And uh, we've also got to hope that those idiots who seem to take that thanks to the memories banner um, and only ever unveil it when we're having a convincing win. It seems an odd choice to me. Like last time, they, I think that's the second time they've got it out. This time we were winning 4-0, and the first time we'd thrashed West Brom. And then from that, we went. On, I seem to remember we went on a really superb run through the second half of that season and ended up winning the FA Cup and, and, um, and coming closer to the league than we had done in a while. So maybe that banner is good luck for us as well. Maybe the... Uh, Maybe that's why they got that out. So um, we could do with Cthulhu back as soon as possible, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. We could do with Ramsey back, obviously. Um, but hopefully a chat with the senior players, rounding up the players, and a little bit of momentum, if we can get through the FA Cup, 
forget Barcelona. I mean, that my only worry is that we're going to get through in the FA Cup, get all this momentum back from this late late draw with Spurs with 10 men which feels like you know you're gaining something if you can if you can go to the second team in the league and with 10 men get a late draw that feels like you're getting something and then you get to, through two rounds of the FA Cup and then that momentum might all just be stalled by Barcelona we can't let that happen because we're probably going out there anyway regardless of what happens um I'd almost be tempted to play a second string team as much as we can I mean we haven't got that many players left who aren't injured really um so we'll we'll see what happens i really want to do you want to know what my worst nightmare is kev is it tottenham winning the league it's leicester falling away and yeah. tottenham not and the <laughs> one time that arsene wenger finishes behind tottenham is for the title is for the title that would that would be I don't, as you know from me before and here, I don't have much of an issue with Tottenham in mm. general. Um, I have an issue with one or two of my friends who come out of the woodwork who've been very quiet this season. Actually, I will say that. But the season it's probably because we don't have a quote-unquote star player. Yeah, it's it's one of like those we don't have Bale for for casuals to be like, yeah, Bale's the best. It's like <laughs> Harry Kane's top five, and so is Ericsson. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, like, it's just one of those. It's just one of those things. These Spurs fans, the 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 other year when um, with all that mind the gap stuff. Oh dear, yeah. I kept getting that all season, and all I kept saying to them was wait until the end. And I'm hoping the same thing will happen here. No offense to you, obviously. Mm. Um, yeah, no. I'm, I've I've already read too many. Uh, has the power shifted in North London? It, it happens mm. every year, and I am always yeah. like, you had to write it. Of course you did, but yeah. don't. Because now it's jinxed. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, it's, it's a bit of an odd time. It's been a very difficult difficult period um, since I was last on, which was, to be fair, quite a while ago. I think it was last year. Um, and hopefully, uh, there has to be a time when Arsenal turn it round. Um, because if they don't, then, they, uh, then they'll just fall away and it will be a two-horse race. If that were to happen, because people have said, you know, if Wenger won the league this year, he could kind of retire on top. If you do not finish in the top two this season, which is entirely possible, what do you think Wenger's future does hold? Does he just get to keep the job until his contract runs out? I think he will keep the job until his, his contract runs out, but... His my his support base. Obviously, there's been a big split for the last few years in the Arsenal, um, in the Arsenal fan ranks. <laughs> Thank goodness nobody's tweeted about that. I haven't heard. About <laughs> I know. <it>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but his support base has always been based on the fact that we've been losing out to teams with much bigger budgets, um, and much deeper squads. And he's been doing well to keep Arsenal in that top four, regardless of our lack of of relative cash and now in the last few years our cash reserves have gone up and the two teams who are now ahead of us have less cash than we have so that can't be used as an excuse anymore I still think he is a fantastic coach I still think he's a great man and it'll be a sad day when he leaves Arsenal but I do think that if we don't win the league this year and Leicester or Spurs do that puts him in a lot of jeopardy but at the same time, that means that I'm sort of agreeing with Paul Merson, which I really don't like doing <laughs> on principle, um, because he came out and said the similar thing. He, he said, actually, his argument wasn't quite the same as that one. He said it would be Arsene Wenger paying the, it should should go in the summer if we don't win the league because we should have bought players um, last year, experienced players who are um, who are going to win us the league, and we're relying too much on younger players still. Then in the next article he wrote, he praised Van Gaal for starting all the young players for Manchester United and <laughs> how great Rashford is for the league. So while I I loathe agreeing with Paul Merson in terms of what the end result might be, um, I disagree with his, his argument as to why. But I do think you struggle to justify Arsenal coming third behind... Spurs and beh- particularly behind Spurs, obviously, but behind Leicester as well, because um, 
it's there for the taking and it has been several times. Arsenal at times have been unlucky, A, with injury, B, certain goalkeepers, Fraser Forster springs to mind when we just absolutely blitzed Southampton at the Emirates and Fraser Forster seemed to grow about seven inches on his arms. Um, We should have more points than we have, but we don't. So now we've got to do something about it. Yeah, uh, speaking of getting the right uh, end point with the wrong work, uh, a lot of people coming out, uh, well, first off, Tottenham losing 3-0 to Borussia Dortmund away um, in Germany. And I've seen a lot of people saying, this this is proof that the Bundesliga is infinitely better than the Premier League because the second-place team in Germany is being the second-place team in England, uh, resoundingly. Uh, those people must have not looked at the team sheets at all. Uh, I said coming into this match that we had two ways to go. Either we could play our best 11 and then rotate against Villa and Bournemouth in the league, uh, which I thought would keep us closer, but I still didn't favor our odds. Or we could play the B team against... Uh, Dortmund in matches we may already lose and then play our best teams against Villa and Bournemouth to try to ensure that we keep our place in the table uh, clearly we went for option B team today um, Ryan Mason and Tommy Carroll are not Moussa Dembele and Eric Dyer by any stretch I think one of the big things we learned today is that Tom Carroll isn't even good enough to be in our second team um, which is harsh to hear but he just never took his place at Tottenham. He, there was a gap there for a while where he could have come through. It was plugged by Mason and Bentaleb. Then Bentaleb fell off. Then we moved Eric Dyer to midfield. And then Musa Dembele decided to be the player he was at Fulham. And uh, now there's not a spot at all. And now Ali is the young player of the moment. And probably the young player of the year. Uh, 3-0, very disappointing result. Not going to argue with that. And, by the way, I'm not saying that the Premier League is better than the Bundesliga. I'm just saying that using your reasoning as they beat Tottenham's B-side is a very strange argument to to stake your reputation upon. Uh, A lot of people saying Pochettino got this one wrong. As I said, I don't think there was a wrong option. There were just two options, and he picked the one that led to us losing 3-0. If this match ends 3-1, by the way, a completely different narrative. Because then you have the away goal coming back to White Hart Lane, just win 2-0 and you're fine. Doesn't happen. Now I think we're done with that competition. I think you play the kids next Thursday. We can just play our starting 11, and then we only have the Premier League to focus on, which is a large argument that people have been making for Leicester, is that this is the only competition they have to worry about from here on out. Uh, And you can say that for us now as well. I don't think Pochettino got it wrong. (laughs) The Poch out people were out a little bit after this match, which uh, always makes me chuckle a bit. Um, Because there were loads of them last year, and I doubt very many of them agree with that assessment now, uh, considering we're second in the league. But all in all, I think the important things, Kane was rested, Dembele was rested, Dyer was rested, Ali was rested, and our wingbacks, Rosen Walker as well, uh, although they do always rotate. But we are a very rested side. Eric Lamela as well didn't get in. That was a strange one, actually, if I'm going to be honest. I thought Lamela over Chadley would have made a lot more sense with Sun up front. Uh, because Son had scored five goals in his last six matches against Dortmund, of course, coming over to us uh, from Germany. So I did think that one was a bit strange. This also highlighted how much we don't have a second striker, because if we do have a second striker that can play instead of Kane, then you could potentially play Son on one side and Chadley on the other side in his actual position, where he is a decent player, by the way. A lot of people complaining about how Chadley's dross and he's the next player we need to get out of the club. He's just awful as a forward. By the way, that Bale guy I was talking about a little earlier there with Steve also was horrible as a striker. Not so horrible in his actual position. Um, I think some of the Chadley hate has gone too far. I think Chad, the, the slack that Chadley and uh, Pochettino are both getting from this match is both based on the fact that we never brought in a second striker because they were playing out of position and made the result worse. We didn't have a striker up front. In Mason and Carroll, we didn't have a midfield that could hold onto the ball. So why are we surprised that we lost to a team in Dortmund who's probably one of the, definitely one of the ten best teams in the world and arguably top five? I don't understand all the outrage. I really genuinely don't. Was it a painful 90 minutes of football to watch? Yes. Uh, and But while they were wearing Tottenham shirts, this is not the Tottenham team. I saw somebody saying, this is the best Tottenham squad we've had in years, so you know this is a failure on that part. It's just not the best squad that we've had in years. It's the best 11 we've had since Vondervaart and Modric and Bale. 
But a whole lot of short-termism going on with some Tottenham fans, which people should take to heart considering how fresh I am into my uh, caring about football. But uh, a little perspective, always a good thing. We head into Aston Villa, on to the next. All right, uh, we started last Thursday answering the backlog of uh, listener questions that we have. Uh, We're going to continue on with those today, but we will start with a fresh one, uh, which is, do you think that the 30-pound away ticket agreement is a win for supporters? Obviously, 20 is plenty was the movement that was going on. It's obviously 10 more than that. Are are you pleased with this as fans? Yes, um, categorically, yes. It could be better, clearly. Um, you, You wonder... Why? What difference the extra ten pound makes to Premier League clubs? They don't need it. It is in terms of their income. Gate receipts are infinitesimal, especially when you consider the the TV deal next year is absolutely out of this world. When even the bottom place club will earn ninety million pound, and it is estimated that all twenty of the um, all of the twenty Premier League clubs will be in the top thirty when the Money League is announced. Um, they don't need that extra money, so you do wonder why they couldn't have reduced it by an extra £10. But then you wonder, well, they could have made it 15 or they could have made it 10 It has to start somewhere. Um, and for City, um, somebody has actually worked this out, so obviously um, selfishly from, from my point of view. For City, that will save us next season if you were somebody who goes to all 19 away games. It'll be a saving of £302. It might be even more, but um, that I mean, that is... That is a significant amount of money. Um, it has been uh, a big, like for a lot of people, um, a big bugbear of mine in recent years where um, supporters of successful teams are essentially penalised by other clubs because every football team works in categories and you have category A games, category B and C, or one, two, three, whatever the particular club calls it. And so it was... I use an old example because it's the only one where I remember the exact price. But last season, when City were away at Hull, uh, it was £50 for an adult ticket in the away end. A week earlier, Hull had been at home to Crystal Palace, or two weeks earlier, whatever, and it had been £16 for an adult ticket in the away end. And it's scandalous because you've got access to the same facilities, the same food, the same the same toilets, the same stewards, the same police, the same car parks, the same chippies around it. You've got access to all the same stuff and you're still watching a 90-minute football game played by the same rules. The only difference is by whatever fluke of birth or however you came to support your football team, you just happen to support a successful team. It's, a, it's luck. And I'm not, you know, as a City fan, I'm not richer than a Crystal Palace fan because City are good. Um, or not that Crystal Palace aren't, but you take the point. Um, and, and so I, I think away, well, ticket pricing in general, but away ticket pricing in the Premier League is one of the, I would generally go so far as to call it scandalous. And I think it's great that this £30 cap has been agreed because it forces... Um, like Arsenal and Chelsea to reduce their away tickets, we typically have to pay £62 to go there. But we also aren't much cheaper when they come to us. And there's too much partisanship when it comes to ticket prices because when we famously, I say famously, um, when we made headlines a few years ago for returning half our tickets to Arsenal um, when the the ticket price was £62 um, and that made national news for a couple of days, other fans start to point out, yeah, but City charge just as much. And it's like, yeah, but we we also don't think that's okay. They we're not saying that it's okay for us to have cheaper tickets, but we should be able to charge, uh, you know, our clubs should be able to charge what we want. And there's too much partisanship. People use it as point scoring. You go to games and people start singing about empty seats without looking actually at the reasons why there might be empty seats. A lot of football clubs have working class fan bases, um, and so can't sell out with high ticket prices anymore. Um, And instead of football fans having the good sense to say, well, actually, if we club together, we can make a difference. There's too much point scoring. But actually, um, this is proof that because the debate has been thrown back into the spotlight recently, um, positive action can actually make a change. It's not quite enough yet, but you have to be encouraged by a step in the right direction. Steve? Um, Is it really boring if I just say that 
I agree with everything Richard said, and I couldn't have said it better. Nope, we have several listener questions, so that is absolutely a workable response. <laughs> uh, as an American, I get so frustrated um, uh, on the whole with seeing how much complaining there is about ticket prices, and it's largely because we lost that battle a long time ago here in the mm. States. To go to an NFL game, you're paying 100 bucks plus if you want seats where you can actually see the field without having to look at a big jumbotron or bringing your own binoculars. Um, and there are only 16 of those a season. Uh, so the fact that there are 38 and you guys can't, like 30 for an away, oh gosh. To be fair, much harder to do here anyway because there's a lot more travel involved. Yeah. Like as a fan of the Steelers having to get out, you know, to Seattle like we did this year, you know, you, you got a flight ahead of you. Um, but anyway, we've lost that. So I'm just bitter this whole time that things are going as well as they are. Um, so uh, be very grateful that you got such an agreement uh, done. And then uh, when everybody decides to be up in, up in arms about stuff, try, try coming to to NFL game here one time. <laughs> Baseball game's much better, but there are 152 of them. Of course prices are lower. Nobody, yeah. You don't fill up a baseball stadium other than Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. It doesn't happen. I'm, I don't know why I'm talking about this on this podcast, so we're going to move <laughs> on. Um, we have a question in from Laura. Which championship team do you most want to see back in the Premier League? I'm, I'm happy to throw to Steve, given that I've just completely hogged the last answer. <laughs> <laughs> if it's the same side, yeah, that's fair. Um, ah, thank you very much, sir. Um, I wouldn't mind... Um, well, it depends on how you interpret the question. Sorry to be awkward, Laura. Um, you said see back in the Premier League. If it's if you're taking... Oh, interesting. Yeah, there is that added <laughs> element of have they already been up. Yeah, um, mm. if we're saying back in the Premier League, um, I like Ita Karanka at Middlesbrough. Um, I think he is a very, very good young manager and I'd like to see him in the Premier League. So Middlesbrough um, have my support there. Uh, but as for a team who haven't been in the Premier League as yet, I've got a very soft spot for Brighton and Hove Albion, having lived in Brighton for a number of years. So I'd like to see um, what they could do there. They've got a nice new stadium um, down at Falmer, and uh, it would be interesting to see whether they could do a bit of a stoke and uh, go from being relegation candidates in their first year to being sort of a good, solid, well-run club um, down on the south coast there. Um, yeah, I would certainly echo Brighton um, because they're you know quite a smallish club who've not been in the Premier League before. So I would love to see that. Um, from a selfish point of view, I, um, I would love Burnley to come back up purely because mm. it's a really local away game for me. Um, so I'd, I'd love to have them back in the Premier League for that. And I like Burnley. I think they typically when they're in the Premier League, um, anything other than bottom place seems to be punching above the weight. Um, but they, I like the uh, Sean Dyche as a good manager. Uh, I think they're a well-run club. So I'd like, you know, it's nice to see that rewarded. Um, similarly, Wolves. Um, Wolves are a team that I think just have a, they feel to me like a Premier League club and I haven't liked seeing their struggles over recent years. I was happy when they bounced straight back to the Championship from League One, um, but I'd like to see them uh, to step up further again. It'd be great to have them and Molyneux back in the Premier League. Mm. Yeah, uh, so I'm just not going to really listen to the question at all. I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here. Not a rant, just a whole bunch of teams. First of all, for podcast's sake, I would love to have Burnley and Hull back up because uh, having Peter and Charlotte from Tiger Link was always fun. And uh, we obviously always loved having Jamie Smith on from uh, No Nay Never Net, which is the Burnley site. Um, and we liked getting Kieran Trippier. Uh, so we'd very much like to see uh, Burnley back up. And I want to see Hull back up so that everybody can uh, realize how amazing Abel Hernandez is, which is a horn I've been tooting for far too long. Um I would like to see Fulham back up just because I, I liked uh, what I saw from them back when they had Dempsey and Dembele and Scotty Parker after we sold him back there. I don't know. I, I just have a uh, soft spot for them. Uh, and then Birmingham for a very strange reason, which is uh, when I was really, really starting to get invested in the sport on a whole. Um, we, being Tottenham, won a super meaningless match. Uh, late late in the game and the last match of the season 
against Birmingham. And for a, a win that didn't even move us in the table, they got relegated. And just seeing a whole group of grown men crying over a result that was fairly meaningless to Tottenham. I don't know, I just felt really bad about it. <laughs> I think my conscience, my conscience sorry, uh, would be a bit more cleared if, if they found their way back up to the Premier League. So my not-so-succinct answer, uh, Burnley Hall, Fulham, and Birmingham. All right, and from there, we will go on to a, a question brought to us by a Richard, not our Richard, uh, asking, if you could have one player from your rival's club, who would it be? We'll start off with Steve again. Um, I believe there is only one right answer for this one, um, and I'm going to back it up with stats. Ooh. Um, Arsenal, this season in the Premier League, have created more goal-scoring opportunities than any other team in the Premier League, thanks to players in and around the box, such as Meza Ozil, um, Hector Bellerin, uh, Santi Cazorla, Alexis Sanchez. Lots and lots and lots of chances. Uh, and up front, we have got two good strikers. And I won't hear anybody who says they're not good strikers, Giroud and Walcott, but they're not great strikers. They're not the kind of players who know exactly where to stand just to be in the right place at the right time. Not only for those little dinky passy goals that we do score, but the times when they're standing in the right place for a ricochet or a rebound or a header. And it's got to be Harry Kane. If if Arsenal had Harry Kane up front, we would be 18 points clear at the top of this league. <laughs> That's bold. If you hadn't signed Czech in the offseason, do you think it would have been more important to get Hugo or Kane in? Um, I don't know. I like Ospina. I do like Ospina. He's so he's, tiny. I know he's tiny, and I know he has the occasional ricket in him. Um, sorry, that slang for mistake, Kev. I forget. You're not <laughs> around here. Um, I, I understand that he has the occasional mistake in him. Um, but he was the best goalkeeper in the Premier League in the second half of last season after he took over from Szczesny. Um, and he is capable of doing that. So, uh, yes, Petr Cech has been responsible for saving us lots of points this season, but we'll never know how many of those Ospina might have saved. And I think the points differential on Cech versus Ospina versus Loris is smaller than Kane versus Giroud. Mm. Because Especially we, considering Giroud can't play with Sanchez for whatever reason. Yeah, and Arsenal just creates so many chances, and Kane would Kane would finish them off. Uh, highest shot accuracy in the Premier League, so yeah, a lot of credit to that, uh, Richard. I'm sure you'll hate this, and uh, but we we need to give these Manchester United listeners something to hang their hats on. <laughs> Who's the player at United you'd have in your current city side? Um, see, when you word it like that, rather than just which player would you be happy to sign, I was. <laughs> I was going to say Phil Jones, just to have him round as a mascot. But, uh, <laughs> oh, but, no. Um, no I can hear the unsubscribing from here. <laughs> in all seriousness, um, there's two players that I think we've, we've spoken about quite a lot before. Mm. Um, one, I really, really like um, Anthony Martial. He's not quite had um, the season that maybe his, his first few games suggested he would, but he's a, a very young player who... Um, he's got bags and bags of talent. I'm not convinced that, um, from what I've seen, that Van Gaal has worked out the, how to get the best out of uh, out of Martial. Uh, but I think he's a fantastic player, and so he's the you know the kind of player that I'd like to have around. Thinking more, um, just more sensibly in terms of what would actually be a benefit to City. Um, I think Ander Herrera is wildly underused by uh, by Van Gaal. Again, he never seems to have worked out how to get the best out of him. Um, despite him being so good, like it, it seems a relative no-brainer in, in how you get the best out of Herrera. You, you put him on the pitch in his position and make sure that he's got players around him who know how he plays. He's a, a technically wonderful footballer. I think he would slot into 
Well, I, I can't really think of a midfield in the Premier League that he wouldn't improve given regular football and given the chance to flourish by playing his own game. Um, he, he's happy to take risks, which is possibly what turns Van Gaal off a little bit. Um, but I, I just think he's fantastic. Uh, and it, I got first-hand experience of that in the derby at Old Trafford last season when uh, they, I think I've said before, but you know, United tore City apart that day. And if there's anything that you can enjoy is the wrong word, but if there's anything that you can take from a battering like that um, in, in a derby, then it's at least been able to say that you've, you've seen good football and that, you know, sometimes you just have to take a step back and appreciate what you've actually, what you've been beaten by. And Herrera on the day was sensational. And it was a bit of a, a lesson to me because I, I just hadn't realized that I, I didn't get the same feel for it in the games that I'd seen on TV. I didn't get a feel for how good he was. Um, he'd improve any midfield. And so he's the player of theirs that I would happily have at city. Fair enough. Also before the season, would you have preferred getting Depay in for 25 and Sterling for 50? Um, Honestly, and uh, it's easy to say it's with hindsight, but honestly, no. I Sterling was the signing more than De Bruyne, more than anyone. Sterling was the signing that I was desperate for City to make last summer, um, and so just pure childish excitement on on uh, on my part made it worth the the extra cost that the club have had to outlay. Um, <laughs> it's not so, your money. <laughs> yeah, not um, not trying to like rewrite anything there. I genuinely wrote. Uh, too many articles and said on too many podcasts that I was desperate for us to sign Sterling because I thought he was the player that was tailor-made to um, to fix all our problems. Uh, obviously, it's not quite proven that that way this season, but long-term, he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal prospect. And a Guardiola, I think, will do wonders with him. So, uh, no, in short. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, for Tottenham, this leads back to a story of FIFA betrayal because... We all knew Alexis Sanchez wasn't getting enough playing time at Barcelona. Uh, and so that was one of the first things I did every year. We we knew Lennon stopped developing when he was 16. Um, and so desperately needed somebody on the right with Bale departing. Uh, and even, even before that, because Bale was playing on the left for the majority of his time at Tottenham, whether it be left back or on the wing... Uh, and so I always really wanted Alexis Sanchez, and no joke, I was real-life angry that he would betray me like that. Um, <laughs> I was very, very angry, and unnecessarily, uh, and uh, <laughs> anyway, at the time, I was very frustrated with that. Especially because of, you know, just the whole landscape changing so quickly. The Utsil to Arsenal one that we enabled by selling them bail was also really frustrating. But um, we do have Ericsson, so I'm not too torn up about that. Uh, despite what the song says, I don't think Ericsson always makes Utsil look shite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think Sanchez is the one that you, that you plug in. So you have Lamela Ericsson and Sanchez across the three with Harry Kane up front. Um, I think... Arsenal would kill for our depth in central midfield at the moment, so it's not going to be any of those. Uh, Walker finally stepping it up. Don't think we need Bellerin. I think Loris is at Czech's current level. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to stick with that. But man, I, from a, from a uh, just transfer uh, karma standpoint, it felt like it felt like Real Madrid owed us after us letting them have Modric and Bale. And by letting, I mean we took like 140 million pounds from them. But um, still, it was very frustrating that we weren't able to get that done. And Sanchez, obviously, uh, the big blow. And the, and the most natural fit from your side into ours. All right, and from there we will head on into match predictions. Uh, we'll start off with you, Richard. You're facing Norwich. Hopefully you think you'll win this one. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to make a case for City not winning this one, really, because uh, Norwich are in such a bad run of form that, I mean, halfway through the season, I thought they'd given themselves a, a really, really good chance. I think they were on, I think at the halfway point, they were on 19 games. And if you then extrapolate that over the season, that would pretty much give them enough to stay up it in in most seasons. It puts them very very close to that magic forty point mark that um, often gets quoted, um, but they've just fallen like a stone. Um, so 
and, and City have already beat them 3-0 at Carroll Road in the FA Cup uh, in, in very recent memory. Um, so I have... The only doubt for me is that it comes from whether City will do enough themselves. Like they're, they're clearly the better team. But that lack of spark that I, I spoke about earlier, and um, I realise it's a really vague thing to say, but it's it's just true. There's no... City just It's very rare that they seize the impetus in a game. They have to start well, and they have to start with momentum. Otherwise, they, they struggle to go up through the gears as a game progresses. And that's the only thing that really worries me. Norwich did a good... They actually did a good job on City in the league game at the Etihad when um, Alex Neal really switched his tactics about. I think he played a, a three-man defence, uh, well, sort of a, a five-three-two with a two wing-backs, and they were they were very very tight. Uh, and it was the first time he played it, and it really caught City by surprise. And we got um, very fortunate, uh, conceded a ridiculous goal at the end, and then went straight over the other end and, and snatched it. Um, so I mean, if they're able to do something like that again, they could frustrate us. And it is, like I said, we haven't won back-to-back league games in five months and this will be a chance to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do I, I do fully expect City to win. I expect the, the back four will once again be cliche, um, Otamendi, company, and I would expect Zabaleta over Sanya. Um, I would hope Navas will start because I think we're a better team when he does. But whether that then throws into doubt Sterling's starting position, I'm not sure. Uh, he's had a not the best couple of games recently. The two games against Liverpool, he was he was pretty poor, if truth be told. Um, but he did come in and, and score off the bench against Villa. Um, fully expect... Well, I mean, Aguero will start. That's not even really a prediction, is it? That's just going to happen. Um, whether Pellegrini tries four four two again and puts Bonnie next to him um, is hard to predict because I didn't really see it coming against Villa. Um, and Bonnie was woeful in that game. It was one of the worst striking performances I've seen uh, genuinely in years with the only rival to that being other Wilfred Bonnie performances. Um, so hopefully he won't start. If... He does want to partner Aguero, say it all the time. I would much rather that he started Iheanacho. Uh, he's clearly the future. Bonnie will almost certainly be off uh, in the summer. Um, so I would use it as a chance to start to start Iheanacho. Um, but Pellegrini can be hard to predict in games like this, whether he's going to go 4-4-2 or just go with one striker. Um, I think he'll probably favour Navas um, and... Yeah, if I'm to nail a prediction down, he'll start Bonnie again. That's that's what I'm going with, but maybe just because I'm in negative mood again and I don't want it to happen. Um, but who knows, maybe he'll score a hat-trick and <laughs> prove me wrong, just like Caballero did that time. Question. Would you yeah. sell us Bonnie for 15? I would snatch your hand off, yeah, because... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I hold nothing against Bonnie and people you know there was a, a big cheer went up from one side of the ground when he was substituted off against Villa and I never like to hear that that's not that's not a cool thing to do to your own players but I mean he was abject and he's not he's clearly not a bad striker he's proven that by being the uh, the top goal scorer in the Premier League in 2014 he's clearly got a knack for scoring goals but the confidence has gone he doesn't fit City's style of play uh, and I mean truly it's hard to say just how bad he was against Aston Villa. I mean, you think if ever there's a team for an out-of-form striker to to suddenly get their eye in and, um, you know, improve the confidence and notch a couple of goals. And he was just woeful. Everything bounced off him. He he sliced. They had one where the ball came across him about eight yards from goal. With Granted, he had a defender on his back, but he, he pretty much sliced it out for a throw-in when you've got to be hitting the target. Um, and so I feel sorry for him. It's not a lack of effort or not even really a lack of talent as such that's the problem. But there's, it's just too far gone now. He's not he's not going to claw back and make a success of his time at City. And so anything that we could recoup, um, I would take and I would wish him the best and, and hope he you know goes to a decent club and, and recovers his career. But it's, it's just not happening with us now. Hmm. Yeah, I'd still take him. Um as we don't have a second striker. But, uh, yeah, I uh, hope Daniel Levy's listening to this. In case you <laughs> didn't know, we need another one of those forward things. Um, all right, Steve. You, your club found themselves in a very strange situation. 
where they didn't know if they'd be playing in the Premier League or the FA Cup this weekend at the start of the week. Uh, now you do know it will be in the FA Cup versus Watford. What's your take on this one? Um, well, when we played Watford earlier in the season at their gaff, um, we beat them 3-0. Three, we dominated the whole game, I seem to remember, but it took us a while to score. And Once the first one went in, we got a few. So I think we've got the, um, you know, we've got previous. Sanchez scored in that game, uh, Giroud. And Ramsey. So, San- well, that was one of the rare occasions, actually, where Sanchez and Giroud seem to both be on the same page. Um, so maybe we can do that again. Um, the difficulty we have with it is just these injuries again. Petr Cech's still out. Um, so hopefully Gospina can still keep doing what he's been doing so far in the couple of games that Cech's missed. Um, and then uh, Ramsey isn't looking ter- uh, overly promising for it. Um, apparently, uh, Per Mertesacker has been described as a little concussion. Um, Ooh, I hate that. So mm. That sounds that sounds a bit dodgy, but he still could play. I mean, we ended the game the other day, I think, with Monreal and Chambers in central defence. Um, so it's not looking great at the moment. Our front, um, not too bad because obviously we've got the choice. We've got Urzil will play in number ten. Then we've got between Sanchez, Welbeck's looked really good since he's come back, Giroud and Walcott. Um, it's okay, but I mean, we've just got to make chances and take them. Um, but, but we should beat Watford at home to go through to the semi-finals, should. Um, but it will depend. I mean, there's not much choice in terms of, in, as I've said, in terms of injuries, there's not much choice in terms of rotation, but it would be nice to see us play a strong side on this one and then rotate as much as we can for Barcelona next week because having played Barcelona on the Wednesday, so the second of the two, the later of the two Champions League days, we then play Everton away early on the Saturday. The league is there. The league is on if we can put a run together. Okay, like you said earlier, we've got to hope that um, hope that things go wrong for for Spurs and Leicester. But the league is there if we can put a run together. And the Champions League is unrealistic. Arsene Wenger said himself that it's nearly impossible. So play as change the side as you can at the new Camp. Take the loss um, and play a strong side in the FA Cup. Try and win three in a row because that's historic. Um, and then go for that Premier League. And you know what? Part of me, the optimistic, overly optimistic part of me thinks the double is on this season. Um, oh dear. But we could end up with absolutely nothing. <laughs> So, I mean, is that why not the trouble? You aren't going to overturn Barcelona with three goals? Uh, how about no? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I could have actually done that whole quote, couldn't I? How about no, you crazy dud? <laughs> you <bird>. um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so if one end of the scale is the double and that's being really, really overly optimistic, it is still a possibility. Um, but what I don't want to see happen is that over this next hectic week or two, we get a load more injuries and find ourselves out of all of the competitions in practical terms. Um, so, um, yeah, I think we should have enough for Watford um, and then just take care of people into the next weekend. Yeah, uh, for Tottenham, we get to play Aston Villa this week, which is often a joy. We heard Richard talking about that earlier. Um, And as I mentioned, we rested, what, seven of our starting 11? So, going to be coming into this one at just about full strength. Aston Villa obviously struggling. I think we'll see um, Lloris and then Walker, Toby... Uh, Vimmer and Danny Rose, and then Dyer and Dembele, and then Lamela, uh, Ali, and Eriksen with Kane up top, of course. The Ali one is interesting. Pochettino mentioned that he's been dealing with a few knocks. Not anything to really keep him out much, but uh, just something to kind of keep an eye on going forward. Although, if we don't have any other competitions to play in, maybe he'll be just fine getting those uh, resting periods during the week. Um, not thinking it'll be anything like Ledley, where he didn't train all week and just showed up to play. But uh, hopefully he'll be fine. Um, Aston Villa have uh, conceded 55 goals this season uh, in 29 matches. So not particularly frightened there. 
I think Jordan Ayu is randomly good enough to ruin our clean sheets for fantasy purposes, just to make everybody's day slightly worse. Um, but I think that this is going to be a win. I'm going to go 3-1. All right, and with that, we are out of time. So if you have any project you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Uh, yeah, uh, you can uh, read two of my ramblings a week at Yahoo Sport UK uh, on City. I am also on the Blue Moon podcast, which is, um, if I do say so myself, the best dedicated Manchester City podcast. So that's released every Friday. Um, and I also show up at typicalcity.org. Yeah, thanks very much for listening. Um, it's uh, at Fine Pub Sport on Twitter if you want to um, follow us on there. Fine Pub Sport on Facebook or go to finepubsport.com to find local live sports venues and a pint. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. You can usually find my writings over at playtaga.com and eaglespeak.com, but nothing from me this week because there are only five matches uh, going on. So you should just start everyone who you have that has a match and then sit the people that don't. Really simple this week. Try to have 11 players. Take a minus four if you have to, but nothing worse than that. Uh, And so there. (laughs) Now you don't have to read an article that I didn't write. Um, But anyway, yeah, host of this, which goes up Mondays and Fridays. Host of the FPL Roundtable, which goes up on Thursdays. And this week we had the guys from Anfield Index on to discuss our 65 million pound challenge. So be sure to check that out. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. 